Greetings, welcome, bienvenidos, hola, aloha, ni hao, namaste, konnichiwa, bonjour, bonjourno, sawadee kurup, guten tak, jawivi vakat bang, half a day, jai janendra, privyet, salam, shalom, peace, now, go vegan, peace how, go vegan, and we are praying for world peace at this moment, and praying for peace among toilet paper shoppers all around the world. Socially distanced and veganized for your protection from the meat-eater-caused lockdown state of California. Oh, yes, it is meat-eater-caused. Meat, dairy, fish, and egg-eating is revolting, and you should be revolting against it. Join the vegan revolution today. Uh, socially distanced. I've been socially distanced for so long. It's all normal to me. And you know, I never really like shaking hands, and I do have a stash of hand sanitizer here, but it is the post-toilet paper um, age, and so uh, probably social distancing uh, in a world of no toilet paper, probably a good idea, right? So, uh, anyway, from an NPR story written by Jason Bobien, the title, Why They're Called Wet Markets and What Health Risks They May Pose, I quote, um, well, he, he, uh, he visited the Taipo Wet Market in Hong Kong, not the Wuhan uh, Wet Market that's blamed for the current outbreak. So he visits this uh, Hong Kong wet market, and I quote, It's quite obvious why the term wet market is used. Live fish in open tubs splash water all over the floor. The countertops of the stalls are red with blood as fish are gutted and filleted right in front of customers' eyes. Live turtles and crustaceans climb over each other in boxes. Melting ice adds to the slush on the floor. There's lots of water, blood, fish scales, and chicken guts. Things are wet. I end the quote right, right there. Um, and so, uh, so you have it. Uh, and then you have animals uh, who are stacked in cages. And of course, whatever is wet is uh, showering down upon them all. Whatever is wet. Excrement, blood, pus and piss. How appetizing. Huh? Eating animals is so repulsive and disgusting. Isn't it? Really? Come on, think, let's think about this now. This is a moment of truth. We really have to think about what's going on in the world and what's going into our mouths. I mean, uh, how is any of this appetizing, huh? Uh, one more quote here, okay. So it says, The uh, stress of captivity in these chaotic markets weakens the animal's immune systems and creates an environment where viruses from different species can mingle, swap bits of their genetic code, and spread from one species to another, according to 
biologist Kevin Olival, Vice President for Research at the EcoHealth Alliance. Um, when that happens, um, occasion I'm continuing the, the quote here. When that happens, occasionally a new strain of an animal virus gets a foothold in humans and an outbreak like the current coronavirus erupts. End quote. Um, so that's that's happening in China, right? So oh, but we we don't have to worry about that here, right? Because that 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 couldn't happen in the good old USA. Our animal agriculture isn't wet, is it? We we have dry animal agriculture here. Uh, our animal agriculture is just so clean and pristine. Our animals don't poop or urinate or bleed or discharge who knows what. Um, the animals in our animal agriculture are all happy, right? So they're immune. Uh, they're, they're, they're immune to the attack on their immune systems uh, caused by stress or unhappiness, right? Yeah, their immune systems aren't compromised by stress or unhappiness here, are they? Like in the wet markets? Um, Oh, okay, well, then what's this from the Organic Consumers Association? All right, let's quote this. By 2050, 10 million people could die from drug-resistant diseases every year. That's more than the number of people who die from cancer each year. By 2030, antimicrobial, antimicrobial resistance could force up to 24 million people into extreme poverty and trigger a global economic crisis on a scale comparable to the one last seen in 2008-2009. Well, I take this, uh, that this was on the, um, uh, the website prior to this, uh, uh, this outbreak because we have quite the economic crisis right now. Um, and so continuing the quote from the Organic Consumers Association, it says, what's the biggest driver of this global public health crisis? It says the reckless use of antibiotics on farms. So let's look at an article published in Science. The title is... Are antibiotics turning livestock into superbug factories? And it says uh, almost 80% of all antibiotics in the United States aren't taken by people. They're given to cows, pigs, and chickens to make them grow more quickly or as a cheap alternative to keeping them healthy. These drugs could give rise to superbugs bacteria that can't be treated with modern medicine and things are only getting worse, end quote. Um, the article estimates that um, more than 200,000 tons of antibiotics will be given to animals used for food by 2030. And again, how mistaken it is to use animals for food. It totally doesn't make any sense. Animals aren't food. Who talked us into something so repulsive and so revolting? 
could be the miti uh, uh, normalizing the eating of, you know, our brothers and sisters. So, basically, eating animals, eating meat, dairy, fish, and eggs is responsible for creating most human disease, estimated to be about 75% of human disease. And then eating animals, eating meat, dairy, fish, and eggs, pretty much guarantees that there will be no cure for those diseases caused by eating meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. How wrong this behavior seems to be, right? I mean, it's incredible. Um, you have heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes, whose treatment uh, or prevention or uh, reversal is uh, generally going vegan. And you have your viral virus and bacterial diseases, also, as I said, caused by eating meat, dairy, fish, and eggs, whose cure will be prevented by eating meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. So, and, uh, you know, I guess we'll, we'll want those cures, uh, presuming we can stay alive in the climate crises and environmental devastation, primarily caused by eating meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. Animal agriculture is the number one cause of climate change, responsible for at least 51% of all human-generated greenhouse gas emissions, according to Dr. Robert Goodland and Jeff Anhang of the World Bank, also responsible for deforestation, resource depletion, water scarcity, um, you name it, uh, desertification, habitat destruction, uh, mass extinction. Yes, indeed. So, I ask, uh, what right, what right do you have to eat meat? What right do you have to eat meat, dairy, fish, and eggs? What right do you have to kill every person, every animal on the planet? And what right do you have to kill the planet? I mean, so everyone who is for gun control, why are you for gun control? It's so that some lunatic doesn't kill an innocent person, or two, or ten, or a hundred. So why wouldn't you be for meat, dairy, fish, and egg control, which will kill everyone and everything? How about, how, how about you start with controlling yourself and go vegan? Go vegan now. Get serious about saving lives and get serious about saving life, all life. Now, I did an interview some months back with Joseph Poor, uh, and his, uh, we talked about his Oxford University study, and he says that going vegan, a population shift to vegan, is the only way to stop mass extinction. So, I mean, if someone took uh, a gun, an automatic weapon, you know, with enough rounds to cause mass extinction, oh, the legislation that we would, uh, we would get, right? We, we, we would imprison every member of the NRA for that, right? So, why shouldn't we imprison everyone who eats meat, dairy, fish, and eggs? Huh? What right do you have to eat 
meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. What right do you, do you have to uh, threaten everyone's life? It's not in the Constitution. There's no constitutional right to, to eat meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. There is the right to freedom of speech, so I can tell you that uh, there's no constitutional right for that. So, I mean, I'm just asking. I'm, ju I'm just asking, you know. I mean, uh, you, you, you get all upset when some deranged individual goes on a killing spree, you know, killing however many people, and you call, you call that person or that group a terrorist or terrorists, huh? So what does killing everyone make you, huh? A connoisseur, right? A connoisseur. Someone who enjoys ketchup and, and mustard so much that who cares? <laughs> who cares about all life, right? So go ahead, go ahead, you know, just uh, uh, keep engaging in the most deadly destructive behavior imaginable, the most deadly destructive behavior on the planet, and see where it gets you. Uh, where it will get you is uh, me sometime in the future saying, I told you so. That is, if you survive and I survive. Um, uh, now, anyway. So, if you're interested in getting healthier, if you're, you're interested in, uh, yeah, uh, like right now we're, we're concerned about health and uh, the threats to our our life here. So um, if you're interested in getting healthier through uh, real foods, you know, that which grows from the earth, uh, yeah, plant power, vegan power, that's what I'm talking about here. So uh, we do have a very interesting talk coming up today with William Sif. William Sif is a, an expert practitioner of Asian and Ayurvedic medicine with over 20 years experience working with thousands of individuals and groups to incorporate medicine from plants into their lives. He's a licensed acupuncturist. He's coming up today, ethnobotanist, medicinal herb grower and formulator and educator. So um, this should be a very interesting discussion coming up on today's program. So please stay with us for that. William is uh, the founder of Gold Thread plant-based tonics so uh, if you're interested in boosting your health especially boosting your uh, immune system at this moment of crisis please stay with us and uh, I, I do take note that uh, the uh, vice president of the United States who's in charge of the coronavirus task force has asked people to continue to donate to organizations who are uh, really um, central and important in the current crisis. And I can't think of any 501c3 uh, more important than Go Vegan Radio, which is spreading the truth. Now, when you hear uh, talks from the uh, task force, sometimes President Trump calls it the China uh, virus. And let's take it to the point of truth. It is the meat, dairy, fish, and egg eater caused virus. You're not going to hear that anyplace else but Go Vegan Radio. So please support our efforts in informing the public about this, informing the public about the connection between 
um, animal agriculture and climate change, we are told by the world's top climate specialists that the only solution for climate change before it's too late is a population shift to going vegan. So I would say Go Vegan Radio is uh, at least as important as the Red Cross. We have the information here uh, to save your life, your family's life, the life of billions of animals, uh, all life on Earth. That's why we're here. That's why we do it. You can make a donation. Click the donate button at GoVeganRadio.com. Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com on uh, Facebook at Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden and Twitter at Go Vegan Radio. We launched this show in 2001. We're the first vegan talk show ever, um, and we started, uh, yeah, 19 years ago as the first vegan show ever in uh, the uh, mainstream media. And then uh, went on to, uh, well, we, what was it? Uh, KRLA in Los Angeles was where we started. And then we went to stations in San Francisco, KYCY, CBS affiliate there, and Green 960. And uh, then we were K-Talk in Los Angeles of the Air America Radio Network. So we're uh, pretty consistent in our message, which is to encourage everyone to go vegan for the animals, for health, and for the environment, and now more than ever with the coronavirus being caused by meat eaters, um, now more than ever the message is go vegan. Now more than ever, since the only way to save the planet from climate change is going vegan, uh, now more than ever your donations are important and appreciated. Uh, there's a donate button at GoVeganRadio.com. You can join us as a sponsor of this show. We do need your financial support to continue. We appreciate the support from Evolution, Vegan Dog and Cat Food. Um, and uh, you can bet that the ingredients in Evolution are... <laughs> I mean, if you think about commercial so-called pet food... I mean, it, it all might as well be from a, a wet market uh, in Wuhan, China, considering the uh, diseased animals, the, the blood, the guts. The, I mean, it's just really what goes into commercial so-called pet food is uh, as repulsive as what comes from the um, wet markets of China, as repulsive at, uh, as what comes from the uh, slaughterhouses in the U.S., all so totally disgusting. Um, so Daisy loves evolution. She's been eating it for years. It's wonderful. It's for all stages of life. No chemical preservatives or mold inhibitors. Uh, there's a discount for first-time customers. Um, and uh, discounts if you order on the first Wednesday of the month. Um, 
just call 651-492-2190. 651-492-2190. You can go to petfoodshop.com. Uh, there is now organic evolution and uh, you can get treats for dogs and cats. So definitely check it out. On our last show, we talked about a health study of vegan cats, which was uh, very, uh, very wonderful. Vegan cats do really well. Um, oh, as I mentioned, uh, coming up on today's show, in just a moment, we'll have William Siff. He's with Gold Thread plant-based tonics and we are going to be talking about plant power uh the power of uh plant medicine herbs spices you're not going to want to miss this discussion um i also want to thank vegetarian house for its support year after year after year of go vegan radio with bob linden vegetarian house uh, 100% vegan restaurant in San Jose, 520 East Santa Clara Street. In fact, we're going to have Sonny on uh, maybe our next show or the show after that talking about how Vegetarian House is adjusting to uh, the current crisis. Uh, the restaurant industry is in a current crisis, and we do want to encourage everyone to patronize your local vegan restaurants. Wherever you are across the country or across the world, please support the, these important, um, uh, the, the, these, the, I mean, they're basically central to vegan life, to our community and to the world. I mean, these are, these are heroes, the people who, um, who bring us vegan restaurants they're they're heroes basically and uh, vegetarian house uh is uh offering takeout and uh, take-home meals go to vegetarianhouse.com vegetarianhouse.com and uh, it is really responding to the uh, current crisis please do support your local vegan restaurants um and uh what else did I want to mention here? I wanted to mention that, uh, well, when you're in uh, isolation, self-quarantined, bored, looking for something to do, let me recommend a great new book to you. It's called Fresh Eyes Upon the World. It's from Neil Grace. You can go to neilgrace.com, N-E-A-L-G-R-A-C-E.com and order the book. Fresh Eyes Upon the World. Uh, I really, I'm really enjoying it and it has great reviews and it covers so many contemporary subjects. I mean, it's such a relevant book and a lot of it resonates with me um, and it covers everything from self-empowerment and relationships to uh, uh, hotly debated issues and the world and nature and spirituality and philosophy. So definitely check that out um fresh eyes upon the world from neil grace i think you'll enjoy that um and we'll uh we'll be producing uh more shows coming up just to keep you occupied uh during these uh hard times of uh self uh self-isolation self-quarantine and coming up next we will talk to william siff about plant power, plant medicines, and uh, uh, herbs, and uh, 
spices and I think it's going to be a discussion that you really enjoy and uh, again please let me encourage you to donate and support this program uh, we've been doing it for 19 years we want to expand we want to do more events we had some plans to create a climate crisis live aid concert to save the planet and then along came the coronavirus uh, threatening the planet and not allowing anybody to get together and have a good time and uh, so we'll be working on that too maybe we'll work on an online version of that okay William Siff coming up on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com on Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, and on Twitter at GoVeganRadio. And uh, we welcome your support of this program with a tax-deductible donation. You can find the donate button at GoVeganRadio.com. You can become a sponsor of the show too. You can email me, Bob, at GoVeganRadio.com. And uh, well, here we all are. Um, self-quarantined and isolated and uh, maybe we're thinking about ways we can enhance our health and uh, I was looking forward to meeting our next guest when I went down to Anaheim for the uh, Natural Products Expo some weeks ago. Um, I did go down there, three dogs in the car, eight-hour drive, I went down a day early because there was a climate day uh, conference that I wanted to attend and, of course, say that going vegan is the only solution for climate crisis. But as soon as I arrived down there, I uh, <laughs> I found out that the, the whole event was canceled. Um, in fact, uh, everything's canceled, right? Just at this point, uh, the NBA, the college basketball, you know, everything is canceled. Uh, because of the coronavirus. So um, I thought it might be nice to get in touch with some of the people uh, whom I was going to meet down there, whose products I wanted to try. And so today we're going to talk to William Siff, who is an expert uh, practitioner of Asian and Ayurvedic medicine with over 20 years experience working with thousands of individuals and groups to incorporate medicines from plants into their lives and he is a licensed acupuncturist ethnobotanist medicinal herb grower formulator and educator having been on the faculty uh, of the uh, kripalu ayurvedic school there's there's a chance i may have pronounced that correctly i don't know how much of a chance and uh, bastyre university and he is the creator of a vegan tonic company, Gold Thread Plant-Based Tonics, which you can find in many places, including if you go to the website, there is a store locator, uh, goldthreadherbs.com. So welcome, William. How are you today? 
Thanks, Bob. I'm doing pretty well given the circumstances. Yeah, thanks you're, for having me on. You're you're uh, self quarantined and isolated somewhere. I take it. Yep, we are here in Santa Monica. My wife and daughter, a couple of dogs and a cat. In the not not the worst place to be self quarantined. Actually, I mean it's really sunny here and nice. We can go outside, sure. but uh, we haven't been out for I guess what this is day number. I don't know, at least number eight. I'm losing track of a lot of, as I'm sure everyone else is. <laughs> it's all a blur. It's a very unusual situation we have here. So uh, very, very different. Um, so, um, well, uh, tell us everything you know. <laughs> we, have, we have plenty of time. Uh, everybody's uh, self-quarantined and looking for something. So uh, tell us for, first how you got interested um in becoming a practitioner of uh, Asian and Ayurvedic medicine. You might even tell us what Ayurvedic medicine is and uh, uh, what interested you and how you got involved. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been, let's see, I think this, I'll, I'll simplify it because I know people really want to hear the meat and potatoes, probably more of what, what. Well, on this show, they only really want to hear the potatoes. <laughs> That's true. I, I should. I, I've had a, those, the phraseology is like uh, something I got to watch a lot of times. I've said that before. I said that one time in a class, and I was talking to someone and I said I don't have a stake in this argument, and I kept saying that, and I was like, oh yeah, you know. I, I woke up. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that was S T A K E or something, right. you know. And so yeah, when when I hear somebody is like a meat and potatoes kind of guy or something i think well at least he has it half right you know we'll work on the, <laughs> we'll work on the other half but there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of language out there that uh you know, you know <laughs> a lot of interesting language it. so yeah so um well so i found yeah go ahead i found my way into this like a lot of people i, I mean in terms of, when i was fairly young in my late teens, early late teens, like maybe 19, I had a problem that Western medicine, you know, that cropped up with my health, that Western medicine had no answer for. And I went through many, many different types of tests and went to see a whole bunch of specialists. And I was in and out of hospitals in Boston getting MRIs and all this kinds of stuff. And it was, you know, relatively simple. The problem was uh, dizziness. I mean, I felt, I felt uh, kind of a equilibrium that was going on it just all of a sudden and I was young to have a health problem you know I had no I had no reference point for it and it kind of took me on a journey you know so when everyone else was getting drunk in college I was on a journey of making carrot juice and changing my diet and staying home and brewing up all kinds of medicinal teas and kind of doing my own thing trying to solve this issue that that had no answer seemingly in the Western uh, diagnostic system. And along the way, I encountered many um, physicians of Asian medicine, Chinese and Japanese and Ayurvedic medicine, which is Ayurveda is the traditional medical system of India. Um, and, and so what they ended up doing for me um, progressively and, you know, over a period of months kind of, basically cured the problem and and a lot attributed it largely to the plant-based medicine that I was receiving in the form of teas and tonics and pills and potions of all sorts and um I got really really fascinated with that 
um, cause I also was very much at that point, you know, I hiked and camped and spent a lot of time outside, uh, um, in nature, you know, weeks on end, I was really into, um, wilderness and just basically as getting as close to nature as I could. So then when I encountered a medicine and a medical system that whose foundation was plants and I had had such amazing results, um, that changed not only the symptoms that I was experiencing, but got me really started on a path towards optimizing my health in general. I was hooked, you know, and I thought like I continued to study it and study it and apprentice myself to people whenever I could find them. I just go in and, you know, work in practitioners offices to see what it's like to, to be one of these people that works with this kind of, uh, medicine. And then, uh, Gradually, I I found my way to making a career out of it, and um, so that's how that's how a lot of people come to plant based medicine. I guess is the point. You know, they come to it. I'm sure a lot of your listeners will recognize the story, and it, and it applies to diet as well. You know, there's a lot of inroads. It can be a greater global awareness and an environmental consciousness that's arising, and on and, and just the practicalities of that and. It can be, you know, a lot of things, but it can also just be like, you know, the personal well-being and going um, along a path where we, what we're taught and how we're brought up is is hits a dead end. We hit a dead end with it. And uh, so that's the same approach that I took. And that just happened to be about uh, plant-based medicine. But it was also simultaneously a plant-based diet that was happening to me. And so I've carried that on for the past 20 years and, you know, I've just uh, gotten increasingly deeper and deeper into that and um, it continues to this day. And so uh, you say you went into, um, you worked at practitioners' offices and is that what you were, you were saying? Yeah, I mean, look, when I was starting to study this, I wanted, you know, like there was a lot of, it, it was just, it it was it developed. I mean, you could get a degree. I have a master's degree in you know Asian medicine and the licensed acupuncturist and so on. But you, you still, there were a lot of like you know in in the traditional way of learning um, to become a practitioner of Asian medicine, you would go through a lengthy apprenticeship process, not sort of a a two or three year or four year accredited school process. You know, adapting the teachings and, the, and uh, of how to you know learn this art and science to uh, kind of an accredited, licensed program in in, the, in a modern Western country is relatively new on the scene. You know, and and so there was a lot of gaps. And I, even when I was in my degree program and after it, I still apprenticed myself to practitioners that had very busy practices that were very successful or um or people just who knew a lot about medicinal plants and they you know they they were sometimes foragers or wild crafters or naturalists you know or botanists you just find people basically who know the subject you're interested in get to know them and what they're doing and and try to find some way to fit in to your being of service but you're sponging up what you can mm-hmm. about what this is all about. And so that's what I was referring to in that regard. And I did that before going into a license, I mean, into an accredited program and I did it during and I did it after. 
So what were you seeing um, in those places? Like what kinds of illnesses and symptoms and what seemed to be working? I mean, it, it says uh, that um, you, you say that you've uh, worked with thousands of individuals. So um, what, what were you seeing and how did you see what worked? What, uh, what was going on with that? Well, you, I mean, typically over my career, so, you know, and it, obviously it's still in progress, but, you know, what you end up seeing is people who come in with all different types of like, you know, entry ways to this. So you see a lot of people who have con- found this medicine the way that I just described. They've gone through uh, a Western allopathic approach sometimes to find um, themselves kind of at a dead end or at a standstill or something where there, there's no real answers that are satisfactory or getting them results. And sometimes it's it's a combination where they're doing something in the Western approach that they want something that's an adjunct, meaning like sometimes the Western approach is really good at, at in a certain circumstance at dealing with the symptom level, maybe cutting off an acutely uh, problematic symptom that's really needs emergency medicine in the form of like, you know, surgery or pharmaceutical interventions, but then they want to find another thing that's going to give them the kind of like uh, support and for their and strength for their overall sort of recovery or their healing process um, or to ameliorate some of the side effects of whatever there's going on in the Western medicine approach. And then there are the, the few that you see that come in that have, you know, kind of like a, an optimum health lifestyle going relatively and they want to just use um, Ayurveda or Chinese medicine or plant-based medicine for improving and and sort of uh, uh, you could say like amplifying the good things that they're already doing in their lifestyle. Those are fewer and farther between. I mean, they're starting to become, you know, prevention and sort of not just prevention but strengthening the system before it gets into trouble like basically is where a lot of in a lot of ways where ayurveda and chinese medicine shines you know it can treat acute problems and it can treat chronic dysfunction um no doubt about it but it's really really exceptional to keep us healthy in the first place Uh, i Um, i I might fit into that category myself of you know wanting to enhance health um and uh i looked at uh, your product line your tonics and uh the ingredient they they look beautiful the ingredients look beautiful and uh, you know i'm uh you know it's something that uh i find attractive in terms of you know wanting to enhance my health but um but but uh, so so but i am wondering still what kinds of diseases and and symptoms and uh problems were people yeah you know, they they weren't finding them addressed by western medicine and i don't know i see the commercials for pharmaceuticals all the time on tv and uh you know the the, the side effects and risks seem really uh, scary when you look at what they say could happen from from taking uh such medicines but uh, so people weren't finding relief, but from everything from what to, to common cold to what, 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 you know, like you're saying it, it, it helped with a lot of issues. And uh, what, what well, was that it, range, it, would you say? 
you know, I guess you could say like one way to understand it is a lot of our issues stem from common causes is basically how I'd say it. You know, so you end up, I mean, I, I treat everything from ulcerative colitis and Crohn's and lupus to, you know, hypertension and, you know, chronic migraines, um, Lyme disease, uh, you know, anything you can imagine can be improved and helped with plant-based medicine. Um, but that also assumes like a lot, like there's like, a, you know, a, a sort of a concordant, like sort of, um, lifestyle shift, which includes diet, includes all elements of lifestyle and potentially, um, somatic therapies like acupuncture or massage or, you know, various like adjustments and, and cranial sacral and, and it's all kinds of that. And then there's plant-based drugs or plant-based medicine. So it's it's everything you can imagine and the common cold included you know sort when i when i worked in um i started my practice in uh i started off having seen the asian model where they had a lot of what we would call i guess you could call natural pharmacies you know natural pharmacies where instead of uh chemical medicine like in a sort of our pharmacies they were full of plant medicines and yet there was a doc in the back who kind of took people's vitals and checked their pulse and looked at their tongue and kind of did a diagnostic assessment of people and then gave them custom formulations. And that were that was what was for advanced problems that were kind of needing some continuous, you know, recurring attention. But then in the front where there's all sorts of patent medicines and things you could get off the shelf or over the counter for the things that people would just kind of walk in off the street with that even if you're healthy, that you know, if you're in a place where like all of a sudden there's a big pollen bloom and everyone's getting allergies in the region, then everyone's walking in looking for something for allergies. Um, symptomatically, there was a room for that as well. And I for I started a, a plant-based apothecary in Massachusetts when I first started where I sat in the back and I treated people with, uh, you know, acupuncture and all the tools of the trade that I knew how to do as a clinician. But in the front, there was all kinds of remedies. Like I said, that in plants from all over the world and jars, it looked like a real, uh, it, it looked nice. You know, it wasn't, it was intended not to put anyone off, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by looking too much like a Harry Potter kind of scene at the same time, you know, and there was vitamins, there was everything you'd need at a, to stock your medicine cabinet, but people were coming in with, the common cold or their child had a sore throat or an earache or they just couldn't sleep for a couple of nights and they wanted something simple. And so plant-based medicine can treat a wide range in that regard. You know, it just depends on how it's applied and how deeply and how thoroughly and for how long and, and so on and so forth. So some things can be treated relatively simply and some things take more of an advanced diagnostic approach. And like an, an expert who makes their living at kind of this kind of thing. Well, and so it, it sounds like it was working. It, it sounds like your approach was working for people. It did because it was also kind of a, a fulfilling a, a, a niche, you could say, in society where, you know, at the turn of the century, there was a lot of uh, pharmacy. All, all pharmacies were stocked with plant-based medicines, you know, the turn of the last century. And um, – and so that was what was commonplace before drug therapy. Now, the thing about 
so why it fulfilled a niche was because people are increasingly interested and in never so much as right as we speak, you know, in plant-based alternatives for taking care of themselves, preventing and treating, you know, the things that everyone is going to be, uh, if you live in a human body, everyone's going to be subject to one time or another, you know, people want that knowledge, but the way that we're commonly, um, I guess the way that that people commonly encounter that knowledge is through either maybe the internet or the the, the sort of uh, natural products industry, and both of those have, you know, there's some advantages. And of course, you know, the internet has good stuff, but it can also, as we all know, can be a, a trap because you can get lost in there pretty quick, and and not get necessarily like a concrete understanding of what to do with this wide world of plant-based medicine and the industry of selling products of course has its downfalls too because of course there's an agenda there and what this institution was fulfilling was it was credible and sort of you know there was expert advice going on and so we could really tailor things to people um, and give people the same kinds of products that people are asking for, but really tell them how to use them for how long, what to look for, what to watch out for, you know, what to pay attention to in terms of is this problem that is getting better or it's getting worse or is there some Western medicine interface that needs to happen and so on and so forth. So the, the institution got very popular and was extremely successful, I guess, because again, people are seeking this kind of medicine and this kind of advice, um, in a way that's simple, quick, and credible, and doesn't require necessarily a, you know, uh, an expensive appointment or something like that. They just want to walk in and be like, "I've got this issue. What do you think?" And um, so there's not not that much of that going around in our society as there was, like I said, in the in the 1900s when a pharmacist wasn't just a dispenser of something, but they knew something about what they were dispensing and they could give some, you know, some some advice then and there mm -hmm. and it served as kind of like a quasi healthcare institution you could say in a town you know sure uh -huh. well um and do you find that uh, it seems to be that the consumption of meat dairy fish and eggs uh is uh probably the the basis for so much disease uh, right yeah definitely diet is the I would say kind of like the number one of all causes according to Chinese and Ayurvedic medicine alike. You know, they consider like diet, poor diet, poor digestion, uh, um, and the resulting burden that that places on the body, there is, which is essentially the inflammatory processes that the body has hyper sort of uh, stimulated when the diet is full of either things that are inherently inflammatory or that the body is just overwhelmed with because they're impossible to digest and they're congesting and so on. And the inflammation that ensues that eventually spreads throughout the system and kind of, you know, burns people up from the inside out is kind of like a very simplified way of explaining how Chinese and Ayurvedic medicine view disease process. So it's something to consider clearly in the realm of like overconsumption of uh, animal products is like, you know, that along with sugar and trans fats and 
all the stuff that people are eating commonly in our society is like the number one thing that we all are working on is a, in the natural medicine field. Sure. And then uh, Western medicine usually says uh, surgery or pharmaceuticals with uh, horrendous potential side effects. Uh, so uh, it's nice uh, to consider that there would be an alternative. So, um, And plants too, you know, plant-based medicine also for people looking to transition their diet to a plant-based diet, uh, they can, it can play a very big role in that way too, because a lot of the nutrients that you can get in particularly in medicinal plants, um, are, they're like really packed with nutrients and antioxidants and a lot of things that allow kind of the body to, uh, well, you know, I think you know this probably, but transitioning to a plant-based diet for some people can be challenging because the body itself isn't working well when the transition is happening or like being uh, attempted. And it can be like a, a rocky road. And, and plant-based medicine can help a lot because getting the body into balance means it's more efficient and more, um, and, and more resilient and healthy. And therefore, it's more capable of, you could say, not just extracting the nutrients out of food, but it doesn't have like, like sort of, I guess you could call it um, cravings that are like unhealthy. You know, there's a lot of like, um, there's a saying in Ayurveda about like, you know, when we're, un, when we're out of balance, we will crave things in a kind of a perverse way, things that will make us unhealthy. When you think someone who's like, you know, constantly eating a whole bunch of meat and they're all just kind of like, you know, acidic and, and, and congested that they would crave like cucumbers or something, but they tend not to, you, you tend to crave more of the same thing that's making you unhealthy until you hit a certain point where there comes a discernment and a sensitivity in the body. And that comes from getting healthier. So like, you know, I remember being younger, like way younger, you know, when I was like a kid but i mean i remember going to like places like mcdonald's and i didn't even I, I like i didn't even notice anything about it you know i remember just i would eat it eat the food there and i would just kind of not really have any memory of feeling bad from eating it or something like that but now if i eat something that's like, like off kilter uh it's it's very noticeable in other words because there's an increased sensitivity and that's just, that's the experience with almost anyone who goes on a journey of health. You become more aware of what's happening in the body, and it, and it rejects certain things naturally. You don't crave things that make you unhealthy. And that's where plant-based medicine can speed up the the rate at which people um, heal from like many many years or decades of like poor diet choices that are causing all kinds of problems. So yeah, I mean, I it's I, a great transitional thing. I, I note that uh, it seems that going vegan is uh, is a way that reverses a lot of and uh, seems to be the only way to reverse a lot of the uh, uh, chronic diseases. And I, you know, I think we we can blame uh, heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes, all of those on consumption of animal products to a great degree. And uh, it seems that. Uh, 
research shows that uh, going vegan is what reverses it. I, I generally say uh, vegan as opposed to a plant-based diet because I see that the definition of a plant-based diet uh, can say that um, it does not necessarily exclude animal products or eliminate animal products. And um, I'm sure when you're saying plant-based, you mean that. You mean uh, not to include animal products. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's the way I approach. I mean, I, I, I used to call I myself, I used to say vegan more than I say plant based. And, uh, you know, I actually wasn't aware of the exact definition. I, I say plant based only now because of the uh, I guess I've I, this is just my personal view is it's like, it seems like it has a like a it's not stigmatized yet. In fact, I don't know if it ever will be. It seems like it's um. It's a way that uh, whether you're like a it, – it doesn't matter who you're saying that to. It's hard to refute that because it doesn't have the – It doesn't have the uh, the uh, animal uh, rights uh, kind of uh, connotations that vegan might have. But, but you know, the whole um, – the food industry puts vegan all over labels and all. But, um, you know, that I, I say vegan, well – I'm I'm into it for the animals myself. I I didn't do this for health or the environment, even though uh, I don't think I'd be alive today if I didn't go vegan um, 36 years ago. And uh, being vegan seems to be uh, what's best for the environment. Um, But I I do sometimes think that plant-based, again, uh, you know, you can go to forks over knives for the definition. And, uh, you know, there are people who consider themselves on a plant-based diet who also include animal products. So um, I'm there with the stricter term, but uh, but you do have your um, your gold thread plant-based tonics, and I know that means vegan. And I was looking at um, the oh I, I, yeah, I was looking at the tonics that you have, and I did see one that said honey rose, and I thought, well, wait a second, honey. Uh, but that that's that shouldn't scare vegans away because it's a honey bush, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, that that honey bush is a is a close cousin of another plant called rooibos ah. that people know about, and that is a uh, it's a tea it's a it's a shrub really that grows in South Africa. It only grows in South Africa, and it grows in the mountainous coastal regions of South Africa, and they drink. Rooibos all over the world. It's a red tea. It's non-caffeinated, and honeybush is very closely related to that, and um, that's the basis for that mm-hmm. that we, tonic. Yeah, we're talking today to William Siff, who is with Gold Thread Plant-Based Tonics, and what's a tonic? Um, a tonic, in my definition, I mean it's a it's a blend of plants that have a synergistic effect that's greater than the sum of the plants. So basically there's an, an intention there or a function. And a tonic is something that you could say, you know, comes from the, 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 the word in there is tone. And whether you're toning a muscle or you're toning your voice or you're toning anything, you're like basically slowly accentuating or amplifying or improving its function. And so a tonic is like a combination of plants that tones the inner physiology. You know, it improves the physiological functions of the body that are central to maintaining um, health. You know, things like digestion and immunity, 
the systems that produce energy or libido or cognition or, you know, the, the things of detoxification, that kind of stuff. And so those things are able to be toned and improved upon on a daily basis um, through the inclusion of tonics or medicinal plants into the diet. And they have always been that way. They, you know, historically, that's how cultures have uh, used medicinal plants. It's just to kind of give the body it uh, a little message um, continuously throughout daily life um, to improve upon on something like digestion, assimilation, or extraction of nutrients, or elimination of waste. And, and they do this in a whole bunch of different kinds of ways. And uh, so every culture that has longevity, um, that has traditional cuisine, that has kind of been passed down through the ages, and that we look to, like the Mediterranean cultures, as like sort of emblematic, you know, of health, um, they all have medicinal plants in their diet and wild plants um, and they're kind of like sprinkled into their diet in such a way that you wouldn't even necessarily know that it's happening because it's so well integrated. But they have these little special tonics. Maybe they take one before a meal, like an aperitif, or after a meal, um, you know, or or just uh, on special occasions or once a week, or they have a special tea brew that they make, and that's the kind of it's a long story what I'm saying about you know, the definition of a tonic, but we have, we have plenty of time. Everybody's in quarantine. Everybody's isolated. Don't worry. We have, <laughs> <laughs> we have plenty of time. How many? We have we have days or weeks, so we're we're fine. <laughs> long okay. definition. Okay. Good right about now. <laughs> so, um, so uh, then would that be uh, part of uh, what an ethno um, botanist? Uh, would would uh, be you're saying you're looking at various cultures and longevity and the kinds of uh, plants that that they use. What or, 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 or so I asked you to define to define tonic. How about ethnobotanist? Is that uh, what what you're saying there? Well, an ethnobotanist is someone who it's generally a discipline of anthropology, kind of like anthropology and botany combined, and it's someone who goes to different cultures to study how different cultures historically or have used plants for all kinds of purposes. It could be specifically like how they use them for like um, building their houses, you know, or their, or their, or their weapons or what foods they traditionally ate, but it might, or it could be what kind of plants they use for medicine. And that's, that's really what my background is in. And um, so that is, and then, and, and as a result of the, you know, my work, I've, had the privilege to be able to go and travel all over the world and see all kinds of different cultures and see how different cultures have maintained a tradition of including these plants that I'm talking about in their diets, these medicinal plants for the specific purposes of um, health optimization, prevention of disease um, and so on. And that's where I draw a lot of inspiration from you know a lot of my uh work comes from that you know like for example i was not too long ago in japan and you know been there a couple of times and i was sourcing um uh, a source of matcha for one of our drinks and 
Matcha is a form of green tea, as I'm sure you know, that uh, is grown in a special conditions. They grow it like like any other green tea, but it's a specific cultivar, and they grow it under shade cloth for the last few weeks before they harvest it. And the shade creates some reaction in the plant to produce a particular kind of flavor, which is what people like in the matcha. It's kind of this like umami flavor that you know is sort of savory and sweet and but it also produces a, a unique kind of chemistry as a result of the shade and its, its attempt to, um, you know, to kind of div- continue to photosynthesize. They, they, it creates um, a chemistry where the caffeine is balanced out with an amino acid called theanine. And theanine, as you may know, is something that is a, uh, an isolate from green tea that is, has an anti-anxiety, mood-enhancing, and cognition clarifying effect so it makes you calmer and more focused in other words and matcha has been selected and found to be you know they found a way to grow it in such a way with these techniques to create a a lot of theanine in the leaves so you get this balance of caffeine and theanine which gives people like focused calm mood enhancement energy without a lot of jittery caffeine energy and um when you go there and the people I was hanging out with who've been growing this stuff for generations, they talk about drinking green tea on a, all day long. They're drinking green tea. And the, and the average age of the farmer there is something in their low 80s, you know, 81, 82. And they are drinking, on average, 13 cups of green tea a day. And wow. and so you see them do this. And then and you, you know, hang out with them, watch what they're eating, and they're eating all kinds of ginger and medicinal plants in their diet and wasabi and so on. And uh, and you get to see medicinal plants in action. And you see that, like, okay, it's it, you know, here it is. These people are vigorous. They're throwing around these big bales of green tea, and they're and they're drinking it all day long. And you can just see they're getting all these antioxidants, all these trace elements and micronutrients in this brew, and they're consuming it day after day after day decade after decade after decade and it grad it just builds up in the system and cre- that that's a tonic in my mind that is something that you could consider a special plant that's integrated into the diet consumed as sort of a pillar or a foundation of the diet and when you look at the research and the understanding of how many benefits something as simple as green tea has and then you extrapolate what's it like to drink you know 10, 12, 13 cups of that a day for, you know, decades, you start to see what I'm talking about. Um, and, and every culture that has longevity has these secret th- things. If you look, you know, in, in, we were in Greece um, on the island of Ikaria uh, a few months ago, and that is one of the kind of traditional blue, blue zone islands that um, Dan Buettner has done work on. And Basically, people there live longer than the background population on average, you know, into their 90s and in generally good health, able to think straight and exercise and move around and do things. And compared to the rest of the population in Greece, or, they, you know, they there's a higher percentage of them. And basically, their diets are different, their relationship patterns are different, and their exercise patterns, but they also all consume medicinal plants in Ikaria they consume a plant called Greek mountain tea which is um, a relative of mint 
It's kind of like a mint combined with a sage is, is what it tastes like. Mint and sage combined. It has a really unique flavor, very aromatic, fresh. They cook it. They mix it with uh, lemon and honey a lot there on that island. Um, but it can be, of course, consumed without that. But the, it's a very powerful antioxidant. And they consume pots and pots of this stuff. And it's one of the secrets, you know, of, of that they would say is to their longevity. So you find that an ethnobotanist will find this if they look all over the place. Wow, that's uh, really fascinating. So you do see with every culture that has uh, increased longevity, you are finding uh, plants that, I, I, I guess in, in, in the USA, uh, Coca-Cola won't qualify. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no. doesn't quite. <laughs> Ironically, Coca-Cola comes from two medicinal plants, the coca leaf, which is native to South America, the Andes regions of South America, and kola nut, which is um, an African uh, a seed of a, of a uh, kola nut tree. And um, they're both stimulating for different reasons. Kola nut has a little caffeine. Coca leaf does not. But in the Andes, I've spent a good amount of time in Bolivia and Ecuador, and the people there, they you could say their tonic – plant or their medicinal plant that's a staple in everyone's diet one way or the other is coca leaf and coca leaf is um you know it's the source of cocaine but it's it's a very tiny tiny percentage of the leaf overall and when they when they consume it they consume the entire leaf and so it's like you know like i said it's it's not even it's it's kind of infinitesimally small the amount of that one alkaloid that they're getting and in fact, when they chew it, it's broken down by the digestive fluids and doesn't even end up in, impacting the system at all. But there's a whole bunch of other good things in the coca leaf, including almost every trace element and vitamin that the body needs. And so in an elevation where the people in the Andes cultures come from, they can't grow a lot of vegetables. They subsist mainly on starches and tubers and potatoes and yams and things like that. And... Um, and so this is a green shrub that can grow at those altitudes, and they've been baking it into, uh, you know, breads and things like that, and they make it into flour. They they brew it as a tea, and then they chew on the leaves, and they get this incredible source of nutrients from doing this. So it's everywhere when you go to these countries, um, in in particular in those regions of those countries, and it's they you know they they wouldn't be those cultures without it, and so it's a true tonic. I've met people who have chewed this every day, you know, uh, several ounces of these leaves every day. And, and I've hung out with multiple people who are in their 90s who could do – who could outwork anyone I know in their 20s. And I know a lot of like athletes and stuff like that. Um, and one of the things they say is, you know, that they, you ask them what what's the secret, you know, and and they'll say a lot of things, but they'll they'll invariably a lot of times come back to a coca leaf. They think this is one of the things that's like an one of the secrets that gets, you know, that it's the difference. Uh, there's there's so much to be said for plant power, huh? <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, how how long have your uh, tonics been available? The gold thread plant based tonics that you have how. How, how long have they been um, available to the public? Uh, about two and a half years. Okay. They've been available. We started in New England, where we were from, the Boston area. Then we went down to New York, and then 
jumped over to the West Coast, uh, Southern California, where we are now, and and, and that was about it. then. Now, now they're available nationwide. I mean, we're in Target and Sprouts and and all over the place. Wonderful. So, um, in, in looking at your menu of tonics, um, you want to take us uh, on a tour of uh, of the tonics you have available and what's in them. They they look beautiful. So many of them are so colorful, and you know, I look at the ingredients and uh, some. Have you tried them yet? I have not. No, no. Oh my gosh! <laughs> After this call, I'll make sure we get we'll get you a couple cases immediately. I had no idea. But I, no, I, I thought I was going to try them at the Natural Products Expo, but uh, no, I, I haven't. I, I don't know that I've seen them in stores. Where, where would they be? In their refrigerator? Where would they? Where would yeah, they're in their, generally speaking, they're in the refrigerated section, like near the kombuchas or the coconut waters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, I'm not sure where you're located, but. I'm in Northern California. I'm okay, so area. yeah, they're up there. They're up there and um, I I can't even keep up with the way that the sales guys and what stores, they're all over the place. There's a store locator on the website, but um, do we we have, uh, and they're available online too, but I'm going to get you a couple cases after this. Oh, great. I'm, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to it. Something to do while I'm uh, self-quarantined here, uh, enhancing my <laughs> health in, in so many ways. But um, yeah, but, but tell us about um, the specific tonics you have and what the ingredients are. And, yeah, and again, uh, many of the ingredients I recognize, some are new to me, but they all look... Uh, they all look wonderful and healthy from <laughs> from what I see. Yeah, th- well, they are. They The intention was, you know, I, they kind of came out of the clinic, you know, because I would give these teas to people who would walk in off the street with various problems and, and patients that I was seeing. And I would kind of like wa- – I wanted to make some general formulas that would treat everyone's issues without having to be so specific so that if someone walked in and they had – a digestive problem. It didn't matter what kind of digestive problem. I would have something that would help everybody, hurt nobody, and it might not like, you know, sort of be the the cure. They might have to do all sorts of things to like change their diet and their lifestyle, but like knew that there was going to be a a helpful effect. And so I did that across the board with all the things that people come in with to any physician, whether it's like a, a doctor or an Ayurvedic practitioner. It doesn't matter who. Uh, everyone's coming in with like sleep and stress, immune system stuff, uh, energy issues, you know, digestive problems. Um, and so I made formulas that would cover all those bases. And then those were came the prototypes of the formulas that now are uh, the intention was to scale nationwide. And so they, they have a function. And, and the other thing I made about just as a, as a beginning place was that I wanted to make them strong enough. So they actually did something, you know, I didn't want to just sprinkle a few herbs and say, you know, these are supposed to be good for this, but you know, not actually have them really do anything because I mean, of course I made my whole career on getting results. And so I wanted to be authentic and make sure that these things and to do that and make them taste refreshing and good was the trick. So getting, 14 grams of medicinal herbs into your body, a half an ounce in every bottle when you, and make it so that you actually want to drink it. Um, and make that also not have any overly sugary property 
that neutralizes any of the positives. That's all. That was all the trick of making these things. You know, that's the hard part. But that I think, I think that was because of my clinical experience and having to coerce people into drinking things that were going to make them better over long periods of time. You know, I had like an advantage in, when it came to formulating. So. So these are clinical strength uh, to a degree, you're saying? Yeah, like when you drink them, you feel it. You know you're drinking something that's actually having an effect, you, and that that's definitely true. You, these are very novel flavors. They're very, like, potent. Um, they're reminiscent of things that are in the diet. You know, a lot of these things you can find as, like, culinary items, you know, or spices or things on your spice rack or things you could find. I, I have ginger here, you know, have uh, turmeric, I have, you know, yeah. a bunch of the things that I see mentioned uh, uh, in your product ingredients, but a, a lot that I don't. <laughs> yeah, like, and again, that has to do with the cultures, you know, the different cultures where they come from. Like, there's a one that's called mint condition there, which is, which is um, formulated with ingredients that are all f from that region in Greece that I was just talking about. And they were formulated with the, uh, the explicit purpose of sort of recreating a something that if you were like an old person in Greece and you wanted to drink a, a daily tonic there, this is kind of our, you know, this is sort of my, my way of translating that for our population here. So it has the Greek mountain tea, which is that plant I just you know just spoke about in terms of its, it's like this many mint, benefits. Mint condition. Like this is the one you're talking about now. Mint condition. Yeah, mm -hmm. mint condition, and then it also has peppermint, and it has um, lemon balm, and it has a whole bunch of mint family plants, all good for digestion and circulation, and improving um, absorption of nutrients, and good for the immune system, and so on. And so all of these things. Each one of these formulas is, um, you know, some of the things you would find common to the diet. Like we can find mint and people can drink mint all the time, but this is five different kinds of mint. And you could say that these mints are what are drunk by people throughout the world in different regions. So every kind of culture has some version of a mint that they want to drink with their meals or after their meals to settle their digestion to create some space for digestion to occur, to remove gas or bloating and so on and so forth, basically to improve the digestive process. And so I've brought together five different ones from different cultures, primarily resting upon the, the Greek mountain mint um, to create this, this, this formula. So that's one. Uh, the turmeric, like you said, turmeric's getting a lot of uh, uh, press these days and rightly so. It's like, you know, you could say it's like the it's the tonic of India. You could say this is in Southeast Asia. Um, there's hardly any dish you're going to find where turmeric's not a part of it, and people are consuming an awful lot of turmeric in those places. And turmeric has so many benefits for you know boosting metabolism and helping to reduce inflammatory processes and improve digestion and it's antifungal and antibacterial and um, improve cardiovascular health and you know cholesterol levels and so on and so forth and so the turmeric radiance is built upon primarily turmeric but also a whole bunch of supportive spices that you could say accentuate or amplify the effects of turmeric um that one's uh, a good one in the morning when you're first starting out you want to get like your digestive processes and your metabolism going through the day you know it's like a natural stimulant um hawaiian ginger 
you know, the, the ginger is legendary. Ginger has so many beneficial properties. Ginger is a good one in this moment we're in right now because ginger helps to reduce excess secretions and, you know, it, it's, it's a, it gets rid of mucus and congestion. Um, it's very good for the common cold. It's very good for improving, again, digestion and circulation. When we digest well, we don't produce a lot of extra toxicity or mucus or congestion. And one of the things that's going on right now in particular, besides all the public health measures that we can engage in and we should be engaging in, um, is just staying healthy. I mean, and, and, and immunity is an outgrowth of general health. So the healthier we can be, the more resistance we're going to have. And so one of the ways in which we uh, become like an unhealthy kind of like host, you could say, or terrain for pathogens to take root is by having um, too much waste in our system and too much congestion because that means we're inflammatory to begin with. And if we're inflammatory to begin with, with then we get an extra insult from something coming in from the outside that's also going to create inflammation then we get into like a hyper inflammatory state and that's not a good thing so staying healthy i mean staying non-inflammatory has a lot to do with digesting well and ginger can help us digest well and, and, and that's yours why, is a hawaiian ginger that you have yeah hawaiian ginger just because anything from hawaii kind of like is healthier than in the mind than anything else. And the ginger from Kauai is really sweet and fragrant. And it's like some of the best ginger on earth, you know? And so we make sure in all of these tonics, my favorite part of the job, I guess you could say, besides talking to people like you is, is going out and finding these sources of raw materials that go into the drinks themselves and making sure that they're, they're coming from, really healthy places with really healthy supply chains and people are benefiting. And, you know, I, I have a background in growing medicinal plants. So I had a random medicinal herb farm for over 10 years. And so I know how to grow things in an organic way, in a biodynamic way, and in a regenerative way. And so we look for sources that have that as their origin. And um, I go there and dig into the soil and talk to the farmers and really understand it. So the ginger, like a lot of the other things is coming from some amazing soil and conditions, and we're getting all that when we drink it. And you're, um, you're benefiting farmers around the world, then, right? With uh, using their uh, what they're growing. We are because medicinal plants are are actually the most profitable thing to grow. And you know, if you're going to grow, if you're a farmer and you're growing anything, medicinal plants are the most profitable plants that you can grow these days. Um, and the demand is crazy. I mean, right now, it's hard for us as a company right now with supply chains being what they are to get raw materials. I mean, we have our ways, but the, the demand for medicinal plants in a moment like we're in right now is off the charts. Mm -hmm. And so what you're seeing is that's not going away. Those trend lines are not going to go anywhere because people are going to look for any way in which they can become self-empowered, self-reliant. And frankly medicinal plants have been or plant life has been working on compounds to reduce pathogens and bacteria and you know funguses and viruses the same enemies that we have are enemies to the plants actually and 
they've been working on, on compounds to get to, to, to neutralize them for millions of years before we ever got here. And they've done a really good job of it. And so we can take advantage of those compounds by consuming them on a regular basis. And that's one of the reasons why I think like this trend line is going to just go up, up, up along with veganism and, and, you know, the, the jury is in the more plants, the better. Sure. And, and, you know, when I look and, at uh, something like your, you know, you, you call it, uh, uh, Hawaiian ginger, but there are, there's a number of other ingredients that you have in there, you know, I mean, you look at it and you go, okay, there's Hawaiian ginger root, but I see tangerine peel. I see cinnamon seed, um, jasmine flower lemongrass madagascar vanilla i mean you have quite a combination in in each of these it's not just uh you know like turmeric or ginger it's like you have uh, all sorts of ingredients in each one yeah that goes back, that goes back to the synergy you know and the flavor and the and the you know the the synergy being that like you have one kind of all-star, you know, you got like a one that's like a LeBron James and all the formulas. <laughs> and, uh, and then you have a whole bunch of adjuncts, you know, guys who like support the main guy there, or the main girl. And so they bring out the beneficial properties in the main ingredient. And they also add flavor and they add, you know, functions that the, the main ingredient doesn't, you know, Ginger's hot and spicy, but jasmine is kind of soft and silky, and it kind of balances out the the spiciness and the sharpness of the ginger, and therefore makes it more you know consumable on a regular basis. Uh, things like that, those go all those things go into my thinking. But then there are some that are like the elderberry defense, which is also a very popular one right now. It has astragalus and elderberry and ginger and cinnamon and Tulsi and rose hips and hibiscus and so on and so forth. Those are each one of those has immune boosting power in and of itself. And so it's good sometimes to come upon on a particular function or like uh, like from many angles. And so, you know, not just always hitting one note. So formulations allow the body to get a number of different inputs from different, you know, plant chemistry to create like a stronger effect than if you just keep plucking the same string over and over and over again. Um, but that one's very powerful though. You know, that's a really important one right now. I think it's, it's selling out all over the place, but it's, it, that one is because of obvious reasons. I mean, anything we can do to, you know, naturally improve the immune system, give it some of the raw materials it needs to produce its own immune response, you know, lots of vitamin C and flavonoids and, antioxidants or what the immune system needs to mount a, an efficient and clean immune response that doesn't have a lot of residue afterwards. Um, that's part of the problem that's going on right now is people get these hyperimmune responses to, uh, you know, the virus, but then it's, it, that's, that's good on one level, but then the body tissues themselves get a little damaged when our immune system flares up too much. So you want it to be a really efficient and some of the raw materials we need to make an efficient immune response are in berries and um, pigmented plants and so on. And, you know, of course, vitamin C itself is, what is another important one. Mm -hmm. So, so that, that one that you're mentioning uh, is elderberry defense. You think uh, that would be at the top of the list for people who want to enhance their immune systems right about now? 
Yeah, I mean that one is the obvious first choice for sure. But I like I you know as a practitioner, I don't like to, I never. It's very difficult to. Um, well, no, it's not. Health is the byproduct again. I mean, or immunity is the byproduct or the end product of health in general. So you so any like stimulating or boosting our immune system is is an approach that's sensible. And when things are really at their height, you know, and things are like, you know, this virus is transmitting and it's moving around and it's in our population like it is. At the same time, if your particular um, weak, weak spot or area that needs attention is, say, digestion or metabolism or you're already kind of an inflammatory constitution, you got a lot of you know, arthritis and joint problems or whatever, you might need a whole different drink. If you were talking about the drinks, and it might not be, and it's obviously not, I'm not just trying to sell drinks. It's like you, you. There's many ways to 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 do this without having it be something you have to get at a store. But I'm just saying, just as a principle, if it's like if if it's almost like the the Dutch boy with his fingers in the dike. It's like he sticks his finger in one dike in one hole, then it comes out another one, and another one, another one. And if you're leaking energy in any one system say you're say you're like um your your stress is where you're leaking energy you know you're not sleeping you're overdoing it and you're getting run down then that's going to be the vulnerability to getting a pathogen to take hold that you need to address and that means you have to deal with you know if you're talking about plants you'd want to do more adaptogenic plants plants that help with um strengthening or like reducing the negative impacts of stress and you know, sort of balancing the endocrine system. If you're the person who's, who's historically, you know, you've got a, you know, you have a bad diet, you're kind of like everything, you know, you're eating a lot of things that are causing inflammation. You're always like having indigestion and you're not feeling well after you eat and you want to change that, but you haven't, you know, you're, you're in transition or you're just starting to think about it in a big way because of what's going on. Then maybe you need more of the ginger or the turmeric or something like that because it improves digestion. So what I'm just saying, as a principle, you look for the real weak spot, weak link in your chain, and that's the thing you want to work with. And, as and opposed why to weaken, why weaken yourself with the consumption of meat, dairy, fish, and eggs, which you know, I mean, that uh, counterbalances uh, the good that can happen. Definitely, definitely, and in now a time, especially, it's like to eat lighter, to eat nutritiously dense things, but eat and 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 certainly not a lot of no animal products, but like. But also uh, uh, less in general, because the body, like you know, historically, uh, like you know, you've heard of intermittent fasting. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Like this is a really good time to take up that practice because, for a lot of people, I mean, I'm not making like a blanket prescription, but it's something to look into. But fasting and eating lighter has been a, a, a you know, a, it's a it's a well known way to boost the immune system. And so, and like, how what what do you what would you recommend, or how do you do it yourself? Your intermittent fasting. What what? Uh... Well, the way I do it is basically like I go fourteen hours not eating anything um, except for liquid. I mean, water, not no calories. You know, um, sometimes no, no morning, tonics so, either. No tonics. No, not <laughs> nothing. Nothing that has any kind of like sweetener or anything like that. So, like basically, I'll stop eating around say seven o'clock maybe eight o'clock sometimes 
And then I'll go till the next day, uh, nine o'clock, 11 o'clock, something like that. And basically you're giving your body an enormous amount of time, an adequate amount of time to break down and repair itself and reclaim the energy that it normally would be going towards digestion to do the things, the house cleaning, the housekeeping, you know, that needs to happen on a daily basis to restore our energy levels and certainly our immune system because the immune system is not just some thing that fights pathogens. The immune system's active 24-7, constantly doing things. And there's certain parts of the immune system that are just cleaning up, you know, dead cells that are turning over naturally every day or scavenging for things that like are in the body that on a daily basis that are like it needs to, mutated cells or whatever. It's constantly cleaning our body up, breaking things down, you know, rendering things inert and getting rid of them. And then there's the immune system that's forward facing and sort of like dealing with external pathogens that could come in through our diet or through the air or through other people. And, but it's all drawing out of the same pool of energy is what I'm saying. And so you, you want to like, you know, if, if you're, if you're using a lot of your like energy reserves on digestion and, and, and the internal house cleaning is not going to be enough left over for the external sort of barrier defensive force field kind of immunity and i'm saying it like sort of metaphorically but this is how it works so you it's all drawing from the same resource pool so the intention is to have more resources to begin with and intermittent fasting can be a very good practice for um maximizing our energy and um as opposed to congesting it you know mm-hmm. very good very good so oh so we were on the um Elderberry uh, defense. I just wanted to look at the ingredients here. So I see elderberry, ginger root, uh, astragalus root, orange peel, cinnamon chips, uh, rose hips, uh, what else? Hibiscus blossoms, Tulsi leaf and flower, and cardamom pods. Yep. That's it. So they they sound pretty good. I uh, wasn't. I I I knew of a uh, Democrat Party candidate for president named Tulsi, but I didn't know that that was a leaf or flower. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tulsi is called also another name for Tulsi is um, holy basil, and it's a member of the basil family. I mean, basil is actually a mint plant, but it's a basil's. There's many different cultivars of basil, and Tulsi um, is is the kind of uh, it's it's not really that you can cook with it, but it's not as much culinary. The leaves are a bit tougher, and it's consumed as a as a tea and grown a lot in India. And it's it's one of the most commonly consumed teas there is in in Indian and in Ayurvedic medicine. Um, it has a number of immune benefits that are like very, very, it's very well tolerated. It's tasty. Um, it's a great one to know about just even on its own, just Tulsi tea is like something I would suggest people to consume a lot of right now. Okay. And I, I see that you have some, some peels in your, uh, formulations, orange peel. Did I see tangerine and something else or, um, right. Yeah. Orange peel and tangerine. I like, you know, in, 
in particularly Asian, Chinese and um, Japanese medicine, there's a lot of use of um, citrus peels. And they have a whole bunch of citrus that we don't normally find at like the grocery store here that are little blue citruses and little, you know, uh, gr sour green citruses and all kinds of little tiny ones and bigger ones that um, are often too tart or sour or bitter to consume um, as, you know, as a fruit. But the peel itself um, stimulates a lot of digestive processes and liver detoxification processes. The, um, there's the aromatic oils in the peel and the bitter constituents help to stimulate the production of hydrochloric acid in the digestive system, um, all kinds of digestive enzymes and so on. And so it's a good one a lot of times to help drive some of the ingredients in the tonics deeper into the body because it really improves assimilation. Well, you've you've been studying this, uh, William. <laughs> <laughs> you've you've been a good student and a yeah. good teacher. Uh, we're talking to William Siff. Um, it's Gold Thread Plant Based Tonics, and uh, let's see. So we've covered what with turmeric radiance. Um, what else? We've uh, Hawaiian ginger, mint condition. We talked about that. Um, I don't think we've talked about lavender bliss. Oh, that's a good one. Lavender. I'll, I'll bet they're all good ones here. They look like, right? So. Yeah, people. People always ask me on these on these podcasts and so on, like what my favorite is, and I, I always have the same basic answer. You know, it's impossible to like for me to do that because I, like when you brought up lavender bliss, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I love that one. It's, I say that with all of them because I would imagine they all have. They all have a, a moment, you know, when you when you crave them because they all do a different thing. They have a very different flavor profile of them, and but I also remember the storyline behind where they came from, and that we were the majority of the ingredients in lavender bliss come from um, southern Europe, primarily southern France, and so that was one of my tougher expeditions. I had to go there to southern France to source lavender, and. Uh, and linden flower, which is a, a flower that grows on a tree uh, that's common to that area. It's common all over the place. Um, it's also called the basswood tree. But it has it's a tree that has all kinds of these beautiful yellow flowers in, in June, millions of them. And they're all covered with a cluster of bees. And so the whole tree just buzzes and has this beautiful fragrance. And, you know, you've got that, those two, an elderflower and um, saffron and all kinds of ingredients in that formulation that are very, very relaxing to the nervous system, calming to what we call the enteric nervous system, which is the nerves that are lining the, the whole gut region. And the gut area, the abdomen, tends to it's – it's got more nerves than anywhere except for the brain um, or the spinal cord, really. So it's a highly innervated area. So we're very sensitive in our guts. We feel a lot there. And a lot of people hold all their tension in there and they don't breathe right and they feel tense. And that tension inhibits the digestive processes because it's hard to digest when our bellies are tense. And so it's common practice in that part of the world in southern France and, and uh, you know areas like in, in the Mediterranean region to consume things like lavender or um, linden flower after meals 
to calm the digestive system, to calm the nervous system and promote like a, a rest easy kind of mindset. And so everything in there is a flower um, in that ingredient, I mean in that drink, and they're all very fragrant and softening and soothing. But they're great to drink in the evening times or after meals or anytime you're feeling tense in your gut, in your digestive system. And that can be chronic for a lot of people, but it can be situational too. And you just want to, you know, you had a meal that you feel a little too full and you want to just relax the gut and open up some space for digestion to occur. So that's a really nice one. It has uh, eight ingredients. Um, what about saffron? I, I, I know of saffron, but uh, what's so great about it or what's... Uh... Well, we found a very good source of saffron growing in in France, and that's one. Of, and if saffron in Ayurvedic medicine is one of the um, herbs that calms what's called pitta. And pitta is a long story behind that. I won't get into it, but basically, like it calms down hot emotions and hot states of mind. Um, so aggravation and irritation and uh, you know envy and jealousy and frustration and basically when you're feeling those riled up kind of emotions a lot of times they'll anoint the forehead with a little saffron oil or get you to breathe in saffron or put it into like a uh, some kind of uh, concoction and it's saffron is like the stamen of a of a crocus and it's like a you know they have to hand pick it with like tweezers so it's a very precious item and it takes an awful long time, you can imagine, to get a little sachet of saffron, much less a kilo. And so it's in this in a very small amount for just that effect of calming down and putting you into more of a euphoric, blissed out mind state. And we just happened to also run across a, a small cooperative in southern France where they're specializing in uh, saffron production. And um, so it was a really great kind of source. You know, we ran across many ingredients, and I just made that tonic I kind of on that journey at like an Airbnb is when the first prototype came out was just uh, all the things we had gathered on like a three-week ex- you know, journey in this beautiful part of the world. And I just started whipping things up that I had gathered, and that's when that tonic was kind of born, you could say. I see it has chamomile, which we, that's pretty well-known chamomile tea for uh, calming, I think. Um, I don't think I've ever heard of butterfly pea flower. Uh, That's a plant from Thailand, and that one is soothing as well, and they drink it there on just a day-to-day basis, you know, as like a kind of a, a soothing tea. It's good for the digestion. It's good for sore throats. But what I like it for is it makes everything blue, and it turns that formula purple, along with the combination of the lavender. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, lavender bliss. So that's uh, the uh, good calming one. And uh, let's see what oh, we talked a little bit about honey rose before, but not really the uh, the tonic that you have. Uh, other than honey rose doesn't mean that there's honey in it. Uh, you talk uh, right. So what uh, what does that address? Do you think the honey rose uh, tonic? Well, honey rose, honey bush, the tea there. Like I said, the the the, the cousin of rooibos is um, something that actually has been consumed 
maybe longer than any other tea in the world, you could say, because the people that live in South Africa, they're called their Khoisan people, and they have been drinking rooibos tea for 100,000 years. And so this is a tea that's been consumed by human, human, the human race for a long, long, long time. And it's not – it's they, they cultivate it, but the stuff that we use in our drink is wildcrafted. So basically people are still going out into the wilderness – and snipping it by hand and drying it. And um, so it's a very, very, uh, it, it picks up all the qualities of the environment in which it's in. So it's in a really, it's a pretty special source actually. And they consume this. It's similar to what I was talking to you about earlier. Like this is like a tonic for almost, almost anything you can imagine that someone might be experiencing um, from a health, you know, in terms of a health conditions, but also as a preventative, they can, they will drink this tea. And so what that means is it's, it's, it's a sense, you could say it's like a cure-all, but it's not a cure-all because it's not curing anything. It's a supportive, it's like drinking a liquid vitamin, you could say. The reason it's red is because it has so many antioxidants. That's what, that's what you're drinking. And antioxidants, as you know, are the thing that quench free radicals and, you know, dull down the inflammatory processes that are kind of at the root of most any kind of health problem you can think of. So you're getting an infusion of something that's quenching this kind of chronic condition of just being alive and, and like uh, having um, inflammatory uh, processes going all the time is why you drink this. So now they specifically drink it though sometimes for coughs and for uh, upset stomachs. It does have mild expectorant qualities, which helps basically expectoration gets mucus out of the lungs, helps us to have an efficient like, kind of cough reflex if you have excessive mucus. But in, even if you don't, it gets mucus out of the lungs, which is happening all the time anyway. And that's a good one to know about now too. Expectoration is a good function right now is to understand because you don't want to have a lot of mucus congestion in your lungs. And um, so that's one of the reasons they would drink honeybush in um, South Africa. And, and do you find that uh, dairy causes mucus? I mean, isn't that? What no doubt. Yeah. I mean, in Ayurveda, particularly anything that looks like mucus, you know, acts like mucus basically. And so um, things that, are cold and heavy and thick and turbid and stuff like that. Like ice cream would be the worst of all, for example. That's like, that's just not even like an edible food really. <laughs> um, but yeah, anything that's like dairy is, is well known to cause mucus uh, congestion. And that has a lot to do too with people, people having overt kind of like um, intolerances and, and, um, allergic responses to it in the first place. When we can't digest something, the body's response is to produce mucus because mucus, I know, I know it sounds like a gross word. It is. And we talk about it. It's, you know, people don't like the word, but it's a healthy thing to have in our body. It's a lubricant. It's like if we didn't have mucus in our lungs, our lungs would die because we would have the dry out. If we didn't have mucus in our throat, we couldn't swallow. And we need, mucus but it's a healthy layer of it it's thin it's like it's like clear like watery you wouldn't even really notice it much 
But when you consume a lot of dairy and a lot of things like that, you start to produce a thicker kind of mucus, like a, um, a reactive mucus, it's called. And that can happen in the digestive system, in the respiratory system, in the sinuses, basically everywhere. And it's a, it's a congesting function. And then once you have a lot of that going on and your mucous membranes are clogged up and congested, that's a great breeding ground for bacteria. So that's a major problem. Okay. All right. We are continuing our menu of uh, gold thread, plant-based tonics. Uh, talk a little bit, to, please, William, about green minerals. Well, green minerals is like it sounds. It's, a, it's, it's, it's plants that are mineral dense, you know, mineral dense plants in things such as calcium, uh, magnesium. Um, there are trace elements in, like potassium and manganese and zinc and so on and so forth in these particular plants. And there's a whole bunch of them and that they were often consumed as like spring tonics in certain cultures. They're the first things to come up out of the ground. They're very dense with nutrition and green. And they're kind of like, um, because they're, they're not, they haven't been sort of a selected for and, and grown like lettuce, you know, for generations where you're trying to get a particular thing, but you're not necessarily, uh, the plant itself isn't exactly, um, an efficient extractor of nutrients out of the ground. A lot of these plants are wild and they still have that kind of capacity. They concentrate nutrients in the soil, in their tissues and in their leaves and there's, you know, things like that. And they also are per perennial, meaning they grow year after year. You don't just chop them down each year. So they have like a root structure that goes deep and keeps extracting nutrients, whereas like a lettuce, you keep planting it every year. So it doesn't really have much time to get hardy anyway. Um, not that you shouldn't eat lettuce. Lettuce is great. I'm just saying like there are certain plants that have much more mineral and trace element density than others. Green minerals is a formulation that has just that. And so it's a way of getting it in a liquid form, almost like a transfusion, because it's easy to digest. You don't have to digest it. It just goes into the body. Um, so that's another thing that, like, what, when, I, when I think about the, the vegan people that I've treated over the years, some have been some of the healthiest people I've ever met, and some of the people have been some of the unhealthiest people I've ever met. And that doesn't just apply to vegans. It applies to others. But when vegans are junk food vegans, Meaning like, and I'm sure that this not that's not the audience I'm speaking to here, but well, a lot of times when people first learn about veganism, mm -hmm. they just take an approach to avoid animal products, but they don't necessarily have the fundamentals of what's needed by the body or how to get it if they're not getting it in the normal ways in which they were prior. And so... What I like to – this is a great one for um, uh, – because it also has a lot of freely available iron. And I'm sorry, a lot you, of broke, people you broke up are, a second there. You, you said it has a lot of freely available um, – Iron. Okay. And iron is something people who are vegan oftentimes will wonder about. Am I going to get enough iron? You can get iron in the plant world. No, no doubt about it. But you have to know what to eat. And eating plants rich in iron that are that's easily absorbable – um, is a really important strategy, particularly for women, you know, because women menstruate and they often you know, they're losing iron on a monthly basis. So um, this one's fantastic 
for that. And like nettles, for example, is one of the primary ingredients and nettles is um, really a good iron source in the plant world. So ten, 10 ingredients in that one, I see. <laughs> yep. So nettle leaf, oat straw, alfalfa leaf, horsetail leaf. Red clover blossom, raspberry leaf, rose hips, lemongrass, uh, linden leaf and flower, and chlorophyll. Sounds pretty healthy to me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I I I'm not, I wasn't that familiar. I'm, well, I, let's see. What uh, oat straw? Huh? What about that? I, I, yeah, oat straw. Oat straw is like it's the it's the uh, it's the grassy part um of the oat plant and the the oat seed is the thing that we eat that uh you know that we commonly have as oatmeal and um but the straw or the 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 green part of it um the grassy part of it is full of nutrients and uh so all of those things are they a lot of these things are like some of them like alfalfa that's another grass family plant and and uh I mean, they, they grow like grass, so, you could, so they have like this, um, they're just basically like, um, all they do is absorb sunlight, turn it and, and absorb the nutrients from the earth and turn them into easily available nutrients. And that's all, that's their, their primary benefit. And, um, so commonly the cultures around the world, lemongrass, you know, there's all kinds of grasses actually that people consume that we don't think about that much. But right. uh, I know it sounds weird. Lemongrass, I think, uh, is, is is often used in soups, right? In yeah, exactly. Soups. Yeah. So, oh, you have a tonic here. Uh, I've never heard of uh, what is this? Uh, Shisandra Supreme. Shisandra? Is that what it is? Is that what it's called? Shisandra. Shisandra Supreme. That's the. That's our purely adaptogenic tonic, and that's what I was talking to referring to before about adaptogens are are medicinal plants that help us to they buffer the negative effects of stress they kind of tone down the stress response and all the energy that it wastes and all the inflammation that comes about having like high cortisol and high stress hormones in the system all the time um there are a whole bunch of plants in the in the asian medicine ayurvedic medicine all forms of plant-based medicine that um are considered adaptogenic or they don't, they're not called that in every tradition, but I'm just calling them that to kind of give you a grouping. And schizanderberry is one of the primary ones in this. Schizanderberry is something that is very popular in Korea and Japan and China, um, Vietnam. And, and it's sour, tastes sort of like a cranberry, but a little bit more tart than a cranberry. It is very, very famous in Chinese medicine. It's called the five flavor berry. Because it has all the five flavors, spicy, sweet, salty, bitter, and um, what's the fourth one? Spicy, sweet, salty, bitter, and sour. Um, and it's well thought of because in Chinese and Ayurvedic and Japanese medicine, they say like the more flavors we can get on our daily basis in our diet, the healthier we are you know bound to be because flavor is made up of chemistry and 
the so like all the different range. Basically, it's having a biodiverse, plentiful diet that has all kind of a wide range of different compounds in it, and you know you're getting that when you're getting all of these flavors on a continual basis. Even in one meal, if you can get all those flavors, that's ideal. That's why like a lot of these medicine systems or diets have condiments and chutneys and all these kinds of things with every meal because you're getting all these like side flavors or these stimulating flavors that do all these great things in the body. So Shazanderberry has five flavors, all of them in one berry, which is very unique. It also – this formula has ginseng. It has um, you know Korean ginseng, which is the best ginseng in the world. It's got um, Tulsi again. It's got goji berries from Tibet. And all these things are very, very um, powerful in their effects of mitigating stress for a number of reasons. I mean, it's, it's a lot to go into, but it, it, that's, that's our purely adaptogenic formulation. And so I think it's one of my favorites when I'm you know either going out for a run or coming back from some kind of exercise or – I, I take adaptogens every day in my own life. I mean, I have for many years, and I think they're indispensable. You know, adaptogens and tonic I mean, plants of this kind of nature, they, again, are something that, uh, again, people, especially, you know, like vegans, not not only vegans, but vegans can sometimes want something like a boost of energy or some kind of thing that helps their endurance or something that helps their energy levels, um, depending on the age and the lifestyle and so on that, like um, – is supportive in a way that other people think of like meat or something like for you know like it's some kind of like strong met food that you eat that gives you like some an uncommon amount of energy adaptogens are like that in the plant-based medicine world you know they're kind of a thing that i think could help a lot of people transition into a vegan diet um is consumption of adaptogens and tonics like that um because it it fills a gap that I think people require, uh, you know, to have like a really fleshed out vegan diet. You know, adding all these things we've talked about, not the tonics, but all the plants in the tonics, is a very good idea because you're all of a sudden having this like expansion of your palate because you're already eating plants. That's what the diet consists of: is plants, mm-hmm. and then you. And fruits, you know, but that's a plant. Um, but now you have this whole other category of plants to consume on top of those uh, our di- kind of common everyday, you know, food plants that we're consuming. Right. But, and and, and uh, apparently having it in the tonics, I mean, who's going to go out and buy all of it? You know, I, I where do I, I haven't even seen Tulsi anywhere. You know, I mean, no. it's like, so yeah. who, who's going to find I, all of these to include in a diet when... Um, I think it's great that they're all coming um, in in the tonic, right? I mean, how? Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I mean, we hard made to get a hold of them. Exactly. We, that's the whole point of the company was to make this accessible for people on their lunch break or, you know, after work or like as something that's an alternative to the things that people normally would be drinking that wouldn't be good for them. I mean, and to, as a vehicle to get these plants into our body, um, definitely. And but it, you know, again, I. I I'm always advocating cooking with spices more or cooking with culinary plants like parsley and basil and fresh pot herbs like that, that you can get into cilantro and, you know, ginger and garlic and the things that we can, we can get these things in 
alongside the tonics. You can get them into your diet in a number of different ways. Pretty much getting acquainted with your spice rack is a very good starting place. Just really getting each meal um, adorned with medicinal spices that are just sitting in your spice rack that maybe you only use once a year. You know, you, you bust out the, the cumin powder or something like that. There's lots of different ways. And everyone can make peppermint tea after a meal or they can have some, uh, you know what I'm saying? This, it's not, mm-hmm. everyone can it's chew, accessible. Uh, to Wrigley's spearmint gum or something, right? No, no. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> Not quite that level, Bob. <laughs> not, not there. Um, I was, you know, there. I, I, I used uh, the Coca Cola before and didn't realize that I was leading into, uh, you know, great traditional foods. <laughs> uh, but don't drink the Coca Cola. Go to South America and have some some coca leaf. Um, <laughs> I, I see that Tulsi uh, has its own uh, starring role in one of your drinks too, right? In one of the tonics, you have Tulsi Clarity. Yeah, Tulsi Clarity. Tulsi, again, is another one of these plants that has many, many functions. In Ayurveda, they call it a Rasayana. Rasayana means like rejuvenative. And so it's given as a rejuvenative to multiple body systems at once. You know, a medicinal plant, an average medicinal plant has hundreds and hundreds of compounds in it. You know, too many compounds to list. And so, like, they're, they're, they're a complex chemical factory, every medicinal plant there is. So to, to, to isolate them down to, like, one specific function is almost impossible sometimes because – really just because of that fact. And so they're, sometimes their, their impact is felt on multiple systems at once simultaneously. And Tulsi is one of those plants that really is emblematic of that fact. And um, Tulsi is good, like I said, for digestion, for immunity. It's good for the cardiovascular system. But it's also good for the cogn- for cognition, for memory, um, for th- basically clear thinking. And so it's always been used for that function in Ayurvedic medicine as an herb that will, like, promote clarity of thought. And so that's the idea is, like, there – some of the herbs in that formulation are when you want to, you know, you're doing a lot, a lot of long hours, you're working a lot in the computer, you have to use your brain, you have to take in information. Um, there are medicinal plants that are very specifically targeted to brain, brain health, basically, and cognitive um, improvement. Wow. Um, so we are talking to William Siff. Uh, we are. Um self-quarantined and isolated together with everyone. We're not alone. We're all together, but separate. Um, your website is goldthreadherbs.com. Is that correct? Yep, that's it. Goldthreadherbs.com if you're interested in any of these. What about Lemon Zen? Yeah, Lemon Zen is, I mean, it's as the name says, I mean, it is a, uh, it's full of plants that are actually lemony. Um, in their flavor and their fragrance, and what, what what plants are lemony? I thought lemon was lemony. What else could? Well, be it lemon? does have lemon too, but it has a plant called lemongrass, lemon balm, lemon verbena, lemon myrtle. <laughs> now, these plants are named lemon because they have a aromatic oil in them called citronol. And now citronol is what gives bug spray its lemony smell. You know, citronella is one of the citronol um, group of aromatic oils. So when you break open any of these plants, 
you smell this fragrance that's extremely aromatic and is reminiscent of lemon. And ironically, it's not the same reason why lemon smells like lemon, but it has a lemony-like fresh fragrance. And so cultures throughout the world, I mean, lemon myrtles from Australia, lemongrass is from Southeast Asia, lemon balm is from Europe, you know, and so on and so forth. So you have each culture throughout the world has somehow found over the centuries plants that have this lemony flavor and fragrance and taste and found them to be useful and sought after and they've kind of integrated them into their cuisine and into their medical systems. And so I chose some of the best ones from several different continents and combined them together with lemon juice, fresh lemon juice, and um, and made a tonic that is extremely refreshing. But all of those things that I just mentioned, that lemony aromatic oil and and flavor isn't just you know nice flavor it's also very very good for the digestive system and for the circulatory system those things are highly again antioxidant antimicrobial uh, and antiseptic and see a lot of these things you can you know there's a lot of overlapping functions you could so you could say in some of these tonics and it's true it's just coming at it from different angles because again, we're taking the diversity of what nature has to offer and just putting it together in different ways for different people, for their palate, you know, for different people's kind of uh, preferences. Um, consuming things that are antimicrobial in our diet, like why people cook with spices. One of the reasons is for the flavor and the aroma and so on. But it's also because in aromatic spices, things like the ones I've mentioned, lemongrass and in Australia, lemon myrtle, cinnamon, ginger, anything you can think of that's in the spice category, they've all see, – see, bacteria and different things, they find their way into our body through our digestive system because things are riding in on our food. Whether we know it or not, we're always consuming bacteria. We're always consuming fungus. It's just microscopic. It's super small. And our body's equipped to deal with it. That's what our body does. But you could never like sterilize, you know, the things we're eating. It's just not how it works. There, it doesn't. There, there are things on our food all the time. When you consume, and like I said, the body's equipped to deal with it. But when you consume medicinal spices or cook with medicinal spices, you're killing a lot of that bacteria. You're neutralizing a lot of it, and you're you're kind of giving our body a help. To deal with it and so that's one of the reasons that 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 it ever became cuisine you know in the first place it didn't is no surprise that that every culture in the world is identifiable through its cuisine you know when you think of india you think of the curry spices uh the turmerics the galangos the cinnamons the you know cumin the so on when you think of vietnam you think of the different kinds of basil and the you know the gingers and lemongrass and and the mediterranean you think of basil and rosemary and thyme and oregano and garlic it's because cuisine evolved with these spices simultaneously with um because before refrigeration it was even more important that we cooked our food, stored our food, preserved our food with spices because they were so antioxidant, so antimicrobial, it lessened the chances of ingesting things that made us sick. 
And even in modern culture, that's important because we live in places where we go to restaurants and you know, people are handling our food and food's coming from all over the place and so on and so forth. So I'm saying this because almost everything I've mentioned, including this lemon zen, is contains plants that have these antimicrobial qualities that when we consume on a regular basis kind of keep our digestive system straight. Uh, you did mention the Japanese matcha earlier, but uh, what about the tonic? You talked about um, the matcha, but... Uh, that one is a tonic um, among tonics. It doesn't have any other... Uh, there's nothing else in it except for chlorophyll because matcha stands alone. And um, it's so... It's full of so many constituents. It has so much going for it that it really didn't need anything else uh, I know. I looked at this. It's like uh, everything else has eight or ten ingredients. This has uh, three, right? It has the matcha, lime juice, and chlorophyll. Right. Exactly. And it's, uh, matcha is in itself like a, a its own little plant-based pharmacy. And it's well – matcha is green tea. It's a form of green tea. It's just a highly potent form of green tea. So all the benefits that we associate and understand green tea to have, matcha has in spades. Um, and that includes a lot of catechins and a lot of basically, um, again, I keep saying the word antioxidants just to keep it simple, but um, there's many, many um, antioxidants that are very good for stomach health. And, you know, the stomach takes a beating in our world, and it's really good to have things that help to lessen the inflammatory kind of onslaught on the stomach and green tea is very very good for um reducing inflammation in the gastric mucosal the zone you know the whole stomach area so hot stomachs are common sometimes you don't even know you have one if you have one but um that's a very good reason and it's just again because antioxidant rich plants are getting an infusion of this stuff that we want more and more of because everyone's living on the edge of inflammation these days you know not everyone, but like a lot of us, basically. Mm -hmm. well, my, my friend, uh, Dr. Antenna Roba, who is the president of the International Fund for Africa, um, was one who was on my show recently talking about intermittent fasting. And uh, I think he um, he's a big fan of green tea. I think even when doing intermittent fasting, is that possible that the green tea could be a part of it? Or uh, It is. Yeah? It is. It is. And, you know, I mean... A lot of times with the intermittent fasting, I mean, there are degrees and people, um, you know, what I don't like to see is, you know, perfection is the enemy of the good. You know, I don't like it because people can get, um, I don't know, pretty bummed out or disappointed if they, uh, if they, you know, how, oh no, I had a drink of coffee or I had a this or that, like uh, intermittent fasting has degrees if you have some green tea or some mate or even coffee without the uh whatever the nut milk and certainly no sweetener that's not a problem but i you know when it, when it comes to like maintaining the fasting state um it can get people kind of jacked up in certain cases and then there's no new there's no like nutrients to uh, to like buffer that that rush of caffeine you have to be careful with that some people because it can get very like 
hyper nervous and jittery if they if they stimulate themselves with caffeine but there's no calories to draw from to stabilize the blood sugar but in general why i say that even if people are just doing liquids for 14 hours they're going to get some benefits given what most people do i think people you know 12 hours 8 hours 8 to 12 hours of fasting would even be a stretch for a lot of people so i say people should start where they can and and just build, you know, accordingly over time, um, rather than not trying at all because they're like, oh no, I'm, I might have to give up my morning, whatever ritual of drinking you know, this or that. You know what I'm saying? That, that's the that's the thing I see people run into is they kind of like get defeated before they start. But in truth, if if people didn't want to do, say people didn't do intermittent fasting, but they just did liquids one day a week, you know, a 24-hour period of just you know, smoothies, broths, and, and, and liquids. You get a great benefit from that. There's many ways to peel an onion when it comes to, uh, to, to getting the benefits from lessening caloric intake and, and uh, reducing, you know, sort of the energy output it takes to digest food. Intermittent fasting, though, to answer your question simply, uh, green tea, mate, coffee, um, not really a problem. So water, green tea, and coffee. That's what he mentioned. He he, he mentioned basically green tea, uh, water, and coffee <laughs> as acceptable. And when I said, what about juice? He said, no, no, no juice. No, you know, just uh, so. Not, yeah, not if you're going strict, you know. I mean, sugar will kind of start the body's processes. They'll, they'll stop autophagy, you know. It'll get the body to stop bra- breaking, you know, seeking fat as its fuel source and breaking down dead cells because now it has a glucose and it's sort of like, okay, we're out of fasting mode. So you don't want to turn it off with with something that's got sugar in it. Mm -hmm. So um, have we covered all of your um, tonics? Did I miss anything of the uh, gold thread uh, plant-based tonics? Did I miss any? Or I think we... Might have covered them all. <laughs> I think you did a good job. I think we got them. Well, you did a good job by putting them together. All I had to do was talk about them. So was, <laughs> you did the hard work. So, um, and then, what about how much to consume of these? Like, what, uh, you know, let's say, you know, you get a a bottle or two of whatever varieties. Like, what what do you think is uh, like a good regimen for consuming? Uh, the tonics um i would say well basically they're meant to be consumed on a daily basis there is no like limit on it really um the the objective is you know i've been consuming (laughs) more than anyone can consume probably for years and uh you know the idea is that we're deficient in this particular category of plants in general you know, we're not really getting enough of them to begin with. So, and and frankly, they're not like, um, they are very much like food medicines. They're biocompatible. They're basically something that is in a lot of people's diets anyway in the world. You know, people aren't necessarily going to take the time to make uh, a curry dish. They can get, get that kind of same basic um uh, effect by drinking a turmeric radiance. And so it's kind of like 
I recommend people drink them for different occasions. You know, that's one thing is that, you know, uh, depending on what your preferences are. But if you say, say you find yourself to be like deficient in minerals and you're really like, you know, honing in on that's the thing you want to work on is getting an easily assimilable form of minerals in your diet for whatever reason. You know, maybe you feel like your skin and your hair and your nails are dull or or sort of like split ends are happening or your thin, your hair's thinning or some something that's indicating that you need to get some some mineral energy into the body. Um, then then I would suggest, you know, consuming that one uh, on a continuous basis for a few weeks and see how you do. If someone in the morning time, for example, the turmeric or the ginger is very good because in the morning we are ramping up to digest food and to metabolize and to produce energy and to think and to be active. So we want something that's going to like accentuate that and improve our digestion and improve our metabolism. So that's a good one to kind of have at that time of day. Um, after a meal, the lemon zen or the mint condition or the lavender bliss because those help to kind of switch us from kind of fight or flight into rest and digest nervous system mode and calm us down. And we, we, we absorb our nutrients and we and, and digest better when we're resting and we're calm and we're like at ease. Um, and we're not, you know what I'm saying, that kind of thing. And then matcha, of course, you know, situationally when you want to like when you're maybe it's a caffeine substitute for something that maybe you're causing your problems or causing you to, you know, coffee's fine in a lot of cases, but it can be overdone, as you know, and people can get uh, some side effects from too much caffeine. And matcha is a nice alternative, even sometimes. But it's also something you can have when you're like again studying a lot. You want to, you want mental energy and focus, so you can have that as like a very specific thing. Or you just want to do a daily tonic. So you you can do these things at different times. Right now, the elderberry defense is also very applicable because we're all dealing with a once in a hopefully a lifetime pathogen that's like going around. But the same thing could happen at the turn of the seasons. You know, it's people tend to get immune challenged when it goes from fall to winter and people start to have to deal with the cold and being inside all the time and or allergy season, you know, when that's happening. So you can think different seasons, different drinks are applicable at different times of day, different constitutions benefit from different ones. And so that's not necessarily the the clearest answer, but it's it's just the way I think about it. You'll crave them at different times based upon the function you're going after. And that might mean you're drinking two or three of them a day, depending on what time of day it is and what you're going after. Sounds good to me. I'm really looking forward to trying them. They uh, they seem pretty super. They're they're up there in the superfood world, it seems to me. So um, Yeah, I'll have some to you very soon. Yeah, okay, great. So, uh, again, the website is goldthreadherbs.com, and people can order them right there on the website. Uh, there's a store locator. Uh, you said they're also uh, in Target. Uh, is Whole Foods, does Whole Foods carry it? Or Yeah, they're in Whole Foods in the all of the Northeast, in New York, in the Mid-Atlantic, in the Rocky Mountains. Um, they're in Sprouts, they're in Target, out here in California, Gelson's and Bristol Farms and Mothers and Jimbo's and all that kind of stuff and Wegmans in the Northeast and a whole bunch in between, Giant Eagle and Ralph's and um, 
But Even I would Ralph's, say... huh? Ralph's has it, right? It's amazing what's happening in the regular supermarkets these days. I mean, it's, uh, it shows uh, shows the trends, you know? Yep. Yep, people are looking for healthy, alter, you know, health more and more in every sector of our, like, economy, thankfully. Yeah, and I mean, a, a few years ago, I couldn't find anything that I would want at Safeway, and now the, you know, the, the store is full of um, items of interest to me, so it's uh, pretty amazing. So, um, anything else that you might have wanted to mention that we didn't cover here? <laughs> we covered a lot. We covered a lot, didn't we? So yeah, no, I think it was great. I think it was a great conversation. I appreciate the uh, time and yeah, it's uh, well, it's almost two. It's an important topic to be talking almost, about this. I think. Yeah, almost a a two-hour discussion. So hopefully uh, this will be a great distraction for everybody who's bored at home, isolated, self-quarantined, a very valuable, informative discussion. So um, I really appreciate uh, uh, what you've uh, what you've uh, discussed with us today here, William. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Bob. My, me too. And and um, if people have other questions, they can also. I have an Instagram. William F. as well, people can go to. And then I oftentimes, if people DM me on that, I can answer some specific questions people have on things like, um, not just on the tonics, but anything we've discussed today. Um, feel free if people want to. They can always ask me questions about plants and plant-based medicine and during this time in particular. Okay, so it's William S-I-F-F. -F, right. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to checking out the tonics myself. Yeah, soon enough. <laughs> Let me know how you like them. Great. Thanks, William. Great talking oh, to you. All right. Stay well. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. find us um, and Twitter at Go Vegan Radio and uh, we have some fascinating upcoming shows so stay tuned we're going to have Sonny Muller of Vegetarian House uh, which is a wonderful vegan restaurant in San Jose 520 East Santa Clara Street the website vegetarianhouse.com we will talk about uh, how uh, Vegetarian House is adapting to the current crisis and uh, again, we urge you to support your local vegan restaurants. Let, let's keep them in business. They're so valuable to the community and to the world. So please support your local vegan restaurant, uh, vegan restaurants, wherever you may be in the U.S. or across the world. 
Also, on an upcoming show in the very near future, we will talk to Dr. Antenna Roba about uh, the uh, coronavirus. Uh, he's given uh, talks on diseases that uh, you know, jump from animals to humans, and I'm sure that'll be a fascinating discussion coming up. Please support us with a tax-deductible donation. We can't do this without your help. And uh, you can find the donate button at goveganradio.com. Um, thank you for listening. <laughs>